You're listening to the Kingdom Flow Podcast. I'm Kyle Jones. And I'm Ian Sperry. Now more than ever, we're in a time where Christians need to rise up. Business owners and corporate executives have a great opportunity to capture hearts by living out their faith, holding the line that's being challenged every day. Listen in as we work to uncover ways to help you live your life by design and challenge the norm by breaking down barriers and truly encouraging you to go all in on your faith. Also, don't forget to leave a review and subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice. Let's go. Father, thank you for another beautiful day. Thank you for another opportunity, Lord, to uh, just declare who you are um, in our lives by declaring it who you are through our lives. And Lord, I just pray that you bless this time, bless this conversation. Um, let all the listeners receive something from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're on site again. We're in we're in Dallas this time. We're back we're in Dallas. In a beautiful office building. We've got a special guest, Bill Colley, on hand. Bill, really appreciate you taking the time. Excited to be here, man. I'm looking forward yeah. to this. No, we we first uh, heard about you through the Toolbox Ministries that uh, previous guest David Olfke helped start. Uh, you were a guest speaker at the luncheon. You came all the way down to Houston. Um, and as soon as I heard your story, I thought you'd be an incredible guest. You've got a very powerful story, a uh, story of adversity. So I'm really looking forward to get into it, allowing our visitors to uh, to hear it. Yeah, I, I was a slow learner. You know, I, I, I had to go through a lot to get to the Lord, but uh, thank God I got there. I'm yeah, so awesome. glad he chose me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, your your background and your business is you are primarily an office developer. We were just talking right. a little bit of real estate. You you do some multifamily as well. Yes, um, unloaded quite a bit of your portfolio last year, which is I, I commended you for great timing in that before the interest rate hikes. But um, you know that's who you are. Um, one of the things to kind of start and kick it off and get into your background as you were sharing in the toolbox luncheon, I made a note of this because it, it stuck with me. Um, something that your dad said to you before you were, you were from Chicago and you moved down to Dallas. So you were a transplant here, uh, way back when, but as you were moving, your dad said something to you that said, basically you need to go because you can always come back. Yes. And I don't know if that was, um, verbatim, but it just, it, it resonated with me because when we think of life in that perspective, it really takes the pressure off of us in really in any endeavor. I'm curious to hear more about your background and, and your relationship with your dad and, and, and the advice that he would give you through the process of growing up. So I was born and raised a Catholic, right? We were Catholics in the Midwest. And um, my faith journey early in my life was uh, a time commitment in church. There was no intimacy or relationship. I sat there and felt good about going, but... Uh, it was kind of like checking a box and, and then getting into your day. You know, I'd be doing my to-do list while I was in church, but my dad was my best friend. And he and I, uh, I think I probably put him through the most. He had, I've got two sisters and an older brother. Um, I think he could, he saw that I had potential, but I was the one that put him through the most. But I loved my dad and respected him and was very close to him. So I always looked up to him, and I think he thought uh, or had hoped that I would take the family business over, and I thought I would. You know, I was living in this small town, but I had a pretty healthy alcohol problem. You know, I've been sober now 37 years, but when, when I was going to him to leave, 
I think his biggest fear was my alcohol consumption. I was married young and and drinking a lot and just, you know. Um, but I, I, I came to Dallas and saw it, and I went back to him, and I said, Dad, I said, I think I need to go try Texas out. And I said, it looks just like an unbelievable opportunity. And and I knew I needed, I wanted, from a business perspective, to play in a bigger market. I was in a town of 8,000 people. Mm-hmm. And so the deal sizes were small, and I, I just knew I needed to, I wanted to play bigger. You were already in real estate by then? Yeah, I was working yeah. for him. I mean, like, that was the I, family business? Was yeah, the, the family, I'm sorry, okay. the family business real estate. So, like, when I was five years old and we would be playing cops and robbers or whatever, guys would be policemen or Indians or whatever, I was a real estate guy. I, <laughs> I doing deals. You, doing deals. Suit. I didn't know what the heck, heck it meant, but I just said, I'm a real estate guy. Did you put a tie on and you walked outside? <laughs> no, none of that. But, but I, I mean, it was always my only option. But I went to Dad, and I go, Dad, I'm, I think I'm going to go try it. And he's, he, he did not want me to go, but he said, go. You can always come back. Mm-hmm. And it did take a lot of pressure off of me yeah. to to give me the opportunity to go, hey, go try it. And if it fails, I'll come back. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So you said you you uh, got married young. What was what was that like? Can you expand on, on was, just growing up and what that meant? I was an insecure kid. Um, you know, I got comfortable through alcohol. Mm-hmm. And um, I was a church attender, but I wasn't, I didn't have a solid faith in my life. Like I was not a... I had no intimacy. I was not saved. And um, mm-hmm. so I was living in the world. And um, my first girlfriend I met, I was working at a fast food restaurant and um, I got her pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so I was 17. Oh, wow. And um, I had we had broke up. I went away to college. I was freshman in college. She ca- called me at Thanksgiving and said, hey, I'm pregnant. And uh, I went home and got married. Really? So from thinking it was kind of over and we were both going to move on with our lives to she's pregnant and we got married. We were married 10 years. Now, I was very dysfunctional at the time. I I, um, I didn't want to be dysfunctional, but I was. I was addicted to alcohol. And, uh, at when 17? I was, yeah. When I, was oh. in, when I went to college, I wanted college so bad that I quit drinking. Okay. And I did not drink through college. And so when I was in college, because I'm dyslexic, I was not a great student. Uh, reading and comprehension on something that's not important to me was really hard. So college was really hard. I never got an A. I was lucky to get C's, but but it was committed to getting through. I worked my way through school. Yeah. And then when I got out of school, I was married. So my marriage was fine during college. And then when I got back and I had some success, I started consuming alcohol again, and then it, then it became a problem. You're, so you've mentioned alcohol a few times, and it's obviously a huge part of your story. Mm-hmm. Um, what did that – so you said you had a problem. Like, So some people have problems, and other people have problem problems. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. Yeah. What did that – can you explain that a little well, bit? Like, what did that look like? Well, a big part of my life, other than my uh, sharing my faith, yeah. is helping anybody with drug and alcohol problems. Okay. So I'm really open about my, my past that. because – I think God puts people in your life. If you're open about it, and a lot of people kind of hide their their warts, I think if you share them, mm. it gives you opportunity. Because there's people out there watching you mm-hmm. that are dealing with the same thing. Yes. And, and I don't know if the, the Lord brings them or just 
they come to you because you've been open about it. And so um, my alcohol consumption, people can drink. I don't think drinking's bad, yeah. but it was, it was one that uh, it just kept ramping up. And it, it, was, um, it became a daily issue. I would work really hard. I had a great work ethic, but at 5 o'clock I'd drink. And, and I would drink until um, either they closed or I ran out. Wow. Yeah. And when I moved to Dallas, my consumption got really high. I was like at a quart, quart of scotch. or I was a scotch drinker. Wow. But, so quart, that's a big bottle. That's a big... I drink that every day. And then if there was drugs around, I'd, I'd have at it with that too. And um, I knew that I was miserable, and I knew I could do better than I was doing. So I was just existing. I was mm. selling houses for a home builder. I wasn't progressing. I was just kind of working and partying at night and working and partying. And it was, but I didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't like what I, I had become because I knew I had more potential. Yeah. And you know, I like, I've got a son that's got alcohol and drug problems and, and I've got many f people that I'm, I, I help with, they, they have to make that decision, but I work with them. And it's the thing that's really hard about alcohol and drug issues is the person has to make a decision. They're done yeah. or they want to address it. Yeah. And I got there. I just got to where I couldn't do it anymore. And I woke up one morning and got the yellow pages out and went to an AA meeting. And, um, so what was that moment like though? Like what, what, yeah. What did you experience rock bottom? Like, was it, was it the night before you had some extravagant night out or was it? Just I'd been like thinking about it for months. I was in a new relationship mm. and I thought she had an alcohol problem. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> so I asked around and got a counselor. So I went to see this counselor, not faith-based. And in this conversation with the counselor, he goes, yeah, I'm pretty sure she's got a problem. But he said, so do you. Mm. And he educated me about alcoholism and how it operates. And he, you know, he told me, he said, listen, if you haven't, if you're an alcoholic, if you quit drinking for a month or 10 years and start drinking again, very quickly, you'll ramp up to the consumption you were at when you quit wow. and start exceeding it. Mm. And, um, I didn't believe him. So I went to AA for like, 30, 60 days, stayed sober, and then went back out and drank. And I decided, okay, I'm going to go try this. And I tried to moderate. And within a week, 10 days, I was right back where I was. Wow. Yeah. And so then I said, I, I tested every way I could to keep drinking. Because <laughs> I watch people that have alcohol problems, and they, they're just afraid to quit. So they lean into it. But once I was told I had a problem, it ate at me. Mm. So once I t was told it, then I tested it. And then I said, he's right. That's good. And then I, um, I had taken, there weren't any rehab centers then. And so I just went to AA and I got on a, uh, got the yellow pages out and I went back to this AA meeting and I went to several AA meetings, uh, different clubs, or locations until I found one where I felt I fit and I would go there for lunch and then I would go there when I was off work and I'd stay there till they closed I'd stay there till 10 11 o'clock at night then I'd go home and then I'd get up 
I'd go to an AA meeting, I'd go to work, I'd go to a lunch AA meeting, and I'd go back there because I knew I would drink. And that so I couldn't question. go in a restaurant or anything. I was, I was thinking that very thing. Is that just because you felt safer there? Because you didn't trust yourself? Totally. Yeah. How long did that last? How long did you do that? For? I did that for, I would say, 18 months. Really? Yeah. And then I cut it to where I was going to a meeting every day. Um, and then, um, you know, I just tapered off. And I had no faith, right? So AA was my... That was my next question. AA was yeah. my church, right? Wow. And I didn't know it because AA believes in a higher power. And I believe I always believed in God. It's just that I wasn't connected. And um, then as I got on my faith journey later in life, like I, I, be, I came to faith at 47. Um, Explain and, that, Lily. What did that look like, the faith journey? So um, I was, um, so I got sober and I was building my business. And since I got sober, it took me five years to clean up the messes, people I owed money to, mm. all the bad stuff. I had to go make amends to everybody. I got to. It was great. Because the whole theory there is you don't want to walk into a room and see somebody you've offended from alcohol. You owe them money. You've lied to them. You've done something wrong. Now, it's their choice to forgive you, but you have to go address it. Yeah, for sure. And it clears up all the garbage that keeps you drunk. And so, like, wow. I would, you know, I would, I made a list of everybody. Like, I stole a pen out of a drugstore in Illinois, and I wrote the guy a letter. Wow. And uh, offered to pay. And, you know, I was paying people that I owed thousands, you know, 100 bucks a month because I didn't have yeah. any money. Wow. But it was about making it, trying to make it right the way you could. And then also being able to walk into a room and not, if I see somebody, like if I had offended you, if you're still mad at me, I get it, Yeah. Uh, but I've addressed it. And uh, like with my ex-wife, um, it took her 30 years to forgive me. Mm. And it, I, I got forgiveness about five years ago, maybe six, maybe seven, right around there. And it was, uh, it was awesome. But it was, it was on her time, right? And uh, I think she had to observe me yeah. and believe that she remembered me as I was, not as I am. And, mm. uh, but so, I mean, my faith journey was I was in an accident. Um, I was on a motorcycle trip. I, I was divorced and a bachelor. My business was flourishing and sober. And I was living in the world, but really trying to do the right thing. And I went on this motorcycle trip to um, Aspen and Telluride. I was there for 4th of July. I was coming out of Aspen, going to Telluride on a motorcycle listening to music and it's two lane roads and you kind of have to pick your spots when you can pass and go around people. Sure. Listening to music and, and uh, I go to pass a guy in a pickup truck. And as I started to go around him, I was like in fifth gear, the bike was pretty sluggish, but I was just going to go around this guy and uh, he sped up. And as I tried to pass him, I'm looking at him and he's speeding up. And I, so I slowed down to try to get back behind him and he slowed down. Oh, so he's messing with he's you. Ne he's playing with you now. Right. And, uh, you know, I've relived this so many times. I probably should have just pulled over, you know, just pulled across traffic and pulled over. But but what I did is I dropped the bike in a lower gear and sped up and got around him. And as I was coming around him, there was a turn and a car coming. Mm. And I didn't make the turn. Mm. So I flew off. Wow. 
and this was right after uh, Superman had uh, become a paraplegic. Mm. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in the air on this motorcycle. It's kind of weird how life slows down, but I'm in the air on this motorcycle going, I don't want to hit like a dart like Superman did. So I kind of pushed off the bike and I kind of grabbed my arms across my chest. Wow. And then I fell face down, like face Shh. first. And when I hit, the impact was unbelievable. And I just powdered my arms. My arms were all screwed up. But And uh, I was laying there, and I thought I was toast. I thought I was dying. And so for the first time in many, many years, since maybe I was an altar boy, I was laying there thinking I was dying, and I was praying. Wow. wow. And I hadn't prayed in forever, and it was the most honest prayer I'd ever had in my life. And I was just going, Lord... And I'm, I was going, Lord, you know, if I can get out of this deal, I am going to change it up. And I'm thinking about all the things that were wrong in my life and what I wasn't proud of. And if this was my last breath, what had I accomplished? And mm. it's not about accomplished that the world cares about, but yeah. what, what had I done? Like I was estranged from my two kids from my first marriage because of the alcoholism. Um, I hadn't addressed it. Now, I had, I had improved myself, but I hadn't gone there and gotten that fixed yeah. or worked on. And um, I was just living a life in the world, and I, I just didn't feel good about it. And so I was laying there praying and crying, and I was kind of waiting for the blood to come out of the lips, you know, like on yeah. TV and bingo. <laughs> and I just said, hey, if you get me out of this, I promise you I'll change it up. And I laid there. I was no pain. Everything just felt warm. And my, my uh, right elbow was pushed out. This elbow was pinned, but this elbow was out. So I looked at my arms, and they like the biggest piece of bone from elbow to wrist was an inch. Yeah. And wow. I'm just showing yikes. And, but no pain. I'm sitting there, no pain. And I'm praying, and I'm crying. And I'm going... So 45 minutes, I'm going, I guess maybe I'm not going to die. And then I started thinking, okay, what am I going to do? And that's when the pain came. Mm. And um, long story short, I crawled up to the side of the road. A family from Louisville, Texas, were on a um, vacation. It's kind of a funny story because the guy was asking his wife if he could buy a motorcycle. So I'm sitting on this. He didn't get his motorcycle. (laughs) He looked at me like I'm on the side of the road and I'm asking for Tylenol, anything while we're waiting for an ambulance. And he goes, you're not going to believe this, but I was just asking my wife if I could get a motorcycle. (laughs) I said, I'm toast. It's kind of funny. But so went into surgery. Uh, I had uh, like 20 hours of surgery. Wow. I wake up uh, in the hospital bed in Gunnison, Colorado, and I'm sitting up and my arms are wrapped in gauze and there's blood oozing out and I've got metal rods holding my arms in place. Wow. And uh, this is kind of a diversion, but I'll make it really quick. Um, Male nurse, didn't know this, but he had been a detective in New York City, shot twice. He says, I'm done with this. Goes and gets a nursing degree and goes to Gunnison, Colorado and he's a male nurse. He's my nurse. So he comes in the morning after the surgery. I'm sitting up and I'm looking at him. And he goes, he said, you're screwed up. That wasn't the word he used, but he said it. (laughs) And he goes, "Uh, you're going to have to learn how to eat. 
So he gives me a rubber hose and sticks it in this hand, sticks a spoon in there, and he wheels a bowl of Cheerios in those narrow tables over to me. <laughs> yeah. And he said, eat, I'll, I'll be back later. And I'm sitting there trying to eat because this elbow was busted. And I'm spilling Cheerios. And I started having a kind of a pity party because I realized how bad it was. Yeah. And he comes in, and I got Cheerios all over the place, and I'm looking at him, and I'm just going, holy man, this is bad. And he goes, he says, yeah, he said, you know, you you, you did a good job. You know, you need to, this is going to not be easy. It's going to be long. He said, I'm going to take you outside. So go take me outside. He brings a wheelchair, unwraps all this stuff, lifts me up, puts me in a wheelchair, takes me out. It's July 6th, beautiful day. Leaves me under a tree, puts the brake on, and leaves. And it's right where people that were wheelchair-bound would come for therapy. So I watched people come in in vans and cars that were adapted to wheelchair use and watch them pull up, elevator, grab their wheelchair, crawl around the back, pull it out of the car. Wow. And I was there in it for an hour, and the message was I was lucky, Right. Mm. And he comes back and gets me, and his name was Paul. I called him Polly. I go, Polly, I'm in. No more complaining. <laughs> I get it. Great message. I'm all in. And from then on, it was nothing but just trying to get better. And then as I got better, I had to have I had nine surgeries over a year. So I'd get better, and then I'd go for another surgery. Get better, go for another surgery. And it kept haunting me, this deal I made with God. Yeah. So I went back to Catholic Church. I'm sitting in Catholic Church doing a to-do list again. And God just kept putting people in my life, but I was committed to honoring what I said. So I'm going to Catholic Church. I just go with this. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with the Catholic Church. Sure, it just sure. wasn't feeding me. Um, and I had bought a house. I bought a house while I was on a motorcycle trip. That It had a pool. And they said, what do you want to do about the pool? I said, let the guy that was doing it for the last owner do it because I'm, you know, I'm getting, going through all these surgeries. So on Saturdays, I had a live-in nurse because I was a bachelor. He'd wheel me out or she would wheel me out to the pool deck and give me some sun. And I'm sitting there, arms up in the air, and the brakes on. I couldn't do anything. Yeah. I couldn't move. And this big burly guy comes with a Walkman on his head, was radio, headphones. This is before... You know, this is where you had cassette tapes. And he's got a beard. He was a Christian minister for a Christian church in Carrollton, Texas. And he cleaned pools for extra money. And he started talking to me, and, and I was telling him about what happened. And I was telling him about this faith journey, and he told me what he did for a living. And so then he would come every Saturday, and he would bring me I, he brought me a Walkman, and he'd Sense. plug a tape in. He'd stick it over my ears and play it. In your, in your arms like this the whole time. I could not. I didn't want. I mean, I, Even I was Even if you listening. wanted to leave, yeah. you had to. So I got to where, and then at the end of him cleaning the pool, he would take it off and then pour into me. Oh, wow. And so it got to where, in the beginning, I just didn't want him to come. But after like three or four weeks... I, I was really looking forward for him to come yeah. because I felt like I was on this journey. So the in between that, um, I met, I had a couple other believers that, that came into my life that knew me, but I was never interested. They started coming to visit me 
and porn into me. And long story short, because of this uh, pool guy, Paul, another Paul, I had two Pauls in my life, I accepted Christ on my pool deck uh, wow. in March. Wow. The, the accident was in July, and I accepted Christ in March. And for me, it was an immediate change. It was dramatic. It was euphoric. It was, um, it was the peace I never had. It was I looked for peace in alcohol. Yeah. It was the peace I never had. And and I was in um, I was in a relationship. I was having sex with a woman. And um, it took me about 60 days to get convicted on that. Yeah. And, and then, you know, I went to the Lord and I said, you know, okay. Uh, I, was, I was daily reading the Bible and I just said, Lord, okay, I'm, I'm going to stop all this. And I stopped it all. I, wow. I broke up with the girl and, and I told her, I just said, you know, I just can't do this. And uh, for a while, I tried to see if that was something I could, that was worth pouring into, but there was no faith connection there. Yeah. And I decided I had to move on. And so I, I committed to the Lord that I would date honoring him, no sex. And, you know, you know I'm a 48 year old man yeah. going on dates, telling women, I don't want to go to bed with them. I just want to get to know them. In 90 days, like, yeah, right, scared yeah, right. a lot of women. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the ones that, but the ones that were scared, I, I can't tell you the peer pressure because I, my whole life was all about sex, yeah, right? Yeah, and it went to all about no sex and was about getting to know her. And so, 90 days after I made that commitment, I met my wife. Wow! And she had been coming out of a relationship. She was a believer. Um, we met, and um, our first date didn't go great. Our second date, which was 90 days later, it was just the two of us. And I just told her, you know, I was euphoric about life because I was so yeah. thankful to be alive. And this was a year, it was just like right after all my surgeries were over, but I was still, you know, um, recovering. And I just sat at dinner and I said, listen, I, I don't want to, I, I want to have sex, but I'm not gonna. I want to get married. I'm looking for a wife. And if I think you're not my wife or a possibility of my wife, I'm not, I'm going to stop. And I said, and I'm going to be really honest and open with you. She said, Where, where'd you come from? <laughs> and so uh, I met her and uh, I, we had our second date in March and we were married in November. That's an amazing story. So it was a six month deal and, and, you know, and we were married and, and a lot of people, you know, it's, it's just, it was just the faith though. It was just my, I wanted to please God. I wanted to live right. And, um, we pulled it off. We did it. And all of her friends were really fearful about the no sex thing. Right. Wow. Cause I think most people think that the sex part is a free pass. Everybody just kind of goes, okay, I'm no, I'm not supposed to do this. I'm not, they kind of, this one that. I'm going to they skip it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and people in their forties and fifties, you know, it, uh, it was kind of funny cause all of her friends were really worried that there was something wrong with me. Mm. And, um, all of those people that were fearful of there was something wrong with me are now divorced. Yeah. So, and I, and I mean, I've got a wonderful marriage because we spent a lot of time getting to know each other, a lot of intimacy. That's, that's so powerful. I appreciate you sharing all that. Yes. A uh, couple of questions that were coming to mind. So observation was you just clarifying, you didn't accept Christ until you were 48. Is that 
Yeah, yeah after so the accident were... and on the pool deck. I was, so I was yeah. like, I was in the accident at 47, 47, 48 years old, yes. So um, obviously much later in, in life than um, arguably a lot, of the, a lot of the listeners on the show. But one of the questions that kind of came to mind was you mentioned euphoric. It was a radical shift. Typically, what I've seen with with guys and, and girls that have like an instant change, yes, they want to go. They want to go do and, and clean up everything else immediately, and it's almost harder for the people like myself who grew up in the faith, where we slowly kind of drip into some of these other areas where that are you know sinful and, and everything else. It's it's almost harder to get out of those versus the radical shift. Totally agree. Um, was there anything else? Because I've heard too, like some people just want to go uh, as soon as they get saved, they don't know what else to do. So they don't want to go to be a missionary or they want to go witness and tell everybody about their experience. So do you have anything like that? All of it. Yeah. I bought, <laughs> um, I bought Bibles. I was like the fuller brush man. I went to my parents first. My parents were Catholics. I loved them. You know, I'd have these Bibles, and I was buying these big ones, too, the big NIV Bible, you know? Yeah. And I'd walk in, and, and I, my brother, uh, my two sisters, it, they would... I think my mom accepted Christ the first time just to get me to leave her alone. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and uh, I got two great stories about my parents uh, and my brother, but, um, yeah, it was euphoric. So I was... I wanted to share what I had. Yeah. And I still do. I mean, I, it's like I'm 69 years old, right? And um, I work because my work is my platform mm. for two things. That's One, so I can in work, I can give people opportunity. Two, share my faith. Mm. Three, so drug and alcohol opportunities. So when someone comes to you and they need something, the first thing they're going to hear from me is Jesus. Now, I've never had anybody get mad at me about, for me sharing my faith with them. I've had rejection, but I've had rejection that's turned into acceptance over time. Right. I've had rejection that's still a work in progress because I think you can't ever give up because you never know what's going to happen in someone's life. But I do think you have to have urgency about sharing your faith because things can happen. And um, But, you know, that's why I'm... I'm doing what I'm doing, but but so uh, but but I was then I went on a mission trip. I went to Israel with uh, um, with the Bible school, and then I went uh, on a mission trip with East West Ministries. And I came back, and I said, you know, my life is purposeless. I'm just trying to make money, and and I went to the to my uh, my one of my Christian brothers and I said you know I think I should just go be a missionary he goes you're gonna love this he goes Kali you'd be a horrible missionary <laughs> he said you just need to keep sharing your faith and writing checks Absolutely. and giving people mm. opportunities and it get, and I, I know he's right because yeah. you know but it gives me it gave me a solid base now to know what my role is and it keeps expanding uh, because I get more bold in sharing my faith every day. Um, that's good, man. You you said something that's been that hit me. Your your workplace is your plat. It's 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 your it's your podium. It's your totally, platform. Totally. And that is one thing that I've been as a because 
we're all, we're business owners, right? We don't, and most people that, that are listening to this podcast are not full-time ministers. They're not, they're right. not pastors. Um, and it, 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 it challenges me in the sense of like, so we, we went to a conference recently and we were, it was a pastor's conference and they were talking about when you were called by God to be a pastor, right? Where would you, what would you say? You said you're 69, which by the way, I would never say you no. look like seriously. You look, you look, awesome. <laughs> you look you great. Look, you shocked me with sixty nine there. Awesome. Um, but what would you say? This is my like my call. Like what 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 were you ever called? What does that make sense? Is that does that question yeah. make sense? Well, I think it kind of evolved, but like uh, the the faith conversion was euphoric, right? Yeah. Then as I went, my first move was my family and people that I knew. Um, and I've been, then I got involved with like um, East West Ministries and a lot of faith-based organizations. And then I just got to where, uh, what's cool about being in business, having your own business, and I'm sure you experience this, people either look up to you or they come to you for needs. Mm-hmm. Right? And they may come, they have an issue with a, a a family member, they need a loan, they need whatever it is. Yeah. And um, most of the time, or at least I think people that work for you respect you, right? And so it gives me a great platform to where the legitimacy of who I am as a person is solid with that person, and it can I can share Jesus with them. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've had employees who have had family members commit suicide. I've had so many different issues in life where because I've owned and been bold about my faith, they come when, when they're in need. It's like when I was in the ditch, right? I wasn't interested. And then I was, and, uh, I want to tell you one story. I'll be fast. Got an older brother, Dan, love him to death. I went and shared my faith with him after I had my conversion and he goes, not interested, you know, thanks, but I'm out. And um, hadn't been going to church. Good guy. He's a solid dude. So I bet you I had between seven and ten times I shared my faith with him. And he would come play in our golf tournament, my member guest golf tournament here in Dallas. And every time he'd come, somehow I would talk about Jesus. So this is maybe 15 years ago. My wife and I are sitting at a restaurant up here in a booth, getting ready to take him to the airport after the golf tournament. And we're just sitting there, the three of us eating. And I go, isn't it great? I go to Keeley. I go, isn't it great knowing we're going to heaven? Out of nowhere. We were talking about sports. And I just went, bam. And she goes, it's awesome. And he goes, how do you know you're going to heaven? I said, I know I'm going. Mm. Keeley goes, I know I'm going too. And so then it opened it up. He goes, how do you, there's no way you can know. I said, I know. And then, again, I talked him through salvation and grace and, and God dying for our sins. And I always keep tracks. I've got tracks in my car and Bible. And I usually have Bibles. I only have one now because I've given the rest of them away. But I keep them in my car. You got and, some anointing oil in there, too? <laughs> no, I don't. But I, but I keep these tracks in my glove box. Yeah, I've got them in my office. I'll give you some if you it. want them. I love it. And um, so I'm talking to Dan all the way to the, out to the airport, and I, I reach in the glove box. I've got two tracks. I said, read this and call me when you land. Wow. He calls me. He goes, I'm in. He said, I'm saved. I've asked Christ, Jesus, in wow. my life. 
So, but here's the part that's the best. Every Sunday for five to seven years, I would get a voicemail from my brother. This chokes me up every time I talk about it. He said, thank you for not giving up on me mm. and staying diligent in sharing your faith. Every, I mean, I had every Sunday I'd come out of church, boom, there'd be his voice. Wow. And he is on fire for the Lord and living it. And, you know, you see, and there were, those were eight rejections. And so I just think you just have to own it. But you got to live it too, right? You can't well, say it and not live it because people are watching. That's 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 the key. It's it's living it out. And I think even to where, where like the little conversations that we had, you guys were just having a meal and just yeah make a, a, a blanket statement like that, like just out of nowhere. Because yeah. it's embedded in you, but you're also unapologetic about sharing your faith. Like... In a subtle way, because it's also not so in your face. And we have a lot of people who who can fit that role where they are just in your face, Jesus. If you you're going to burn in hell if you don't, right? And so there's this. Uh, it gives us a bad rap for the people who truly, genuinely care about other people's well being. Yeah. But it's just it's it's the commitment aspect to to staying um, and, and modeling that grace like behavior as well. So yeah, and you know I think. Um, Anybody that's talking about Jesus, it's good. But I think you have I think it's more effective when you have credibility or relationship. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so one of the things that's been great about toolbox is so I'm in a Bible study on Friday mornings and we all in Dallas, there's like twenty of us that put money together to bank toolbox in Dallas. Hmm. And so we had uh, somebody come speak and we're in the uh, Mark Gibson and a couple guys that I'm in this Bible study with thing go call you got a great story you need to share your faith I said okay so and I hadn't done it in 10 years now I do it one-on-one -on -one, but I never done it in front of a group for a long long time and so the first time I did it in Dallas I had 10 people come up to me after the talk and give me their business cards Wow. I followed up with all 10 three of them went away never followed back up, wouldn't respond. Seven did. I've had coffees and meetings with all seven. Of those seven, uh, I, there's two faith conversions I know of, and one where I'm getting, I'm getting texts from him on Sunday because uh, now he's working on his wife, mm -hmm. which is awesome because he's got young kids. And, yeah. and um, so it makes you want to go do more. Right. right. And, and again, I used to really be fearful of screwing it up and then understanding that it's my, our job to to talk about the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit's job to change their heart. So, I mean, I think anybody out there that's listening to this, you just got to be bold about it and yeah. just be loving in how you do it, but never stop. Just keep well, going. I want to connect the dots, too, with something else that I observed earlier. You... You said you just got forgiveness about five years ago, but you've you've been a Christian now for now twenty years. Yeah, and so you know the connection is you just because you were radically transformed doesn't mean everything is going to be perfect. No, and I think we a lot of times, even though we may not um, we may not voice that, I think we kind of expect that hey, this should just be easy for me. 
It should just be easy. Life should be easy. Well, a lot of people preach that, right? A lot of people talk it. It's the feel-good faith, right? And yeah, I mean, you know, life's still going to suck at times, and and but it's better with the Lord. It just is because, like now, we're both in real estate, right? You're in the business. There's a lot of uncertainty in the world right now, yeah. and so my first move in the morning is guidance. Lord, give me guidance. You know, give me peace when I'm going in the right direction. Yeah. You know, and if I've got that that uncertainty in my, I think that's the Holy Spirit telling you, yeah. be careful, big boy. You know, and I just think anything that's going on in life, if you're walking through it with the Lord, it's better. And uh, so, you know, and like anybody, like we talked about my ex-wife forgiving me and, um, like I went and made amends to her and I hurt, you know, I did a lot of, I just made so many mistakes and I hurt her, you know, and it just took her a long time to observe me in other instances to believe that it was real, that the change was real. And, you know, um, it doesn't take long if you're faking it for people to figure out you're faking it. And that would, that was actually, you kind of answered my next question. You had had so the Bible says that they're going to judge us. We're going to be judged by our fruit, right? And up until the, the point of your conversion, you had a lot of bad fruit that people had viewed you of. And so how, how did you take... So you had this radical conversion. Obviously, you're wanting to produce new fruit in your life at this point. How did you take the rejection? Like, what did you do with the rejection of people? You know what I'm saying? Like, judging you on the old person and not the new fruit. So early on, it really was hard for me because yeah. uh, I took the rejection personally. Mm. And um, it's kind of weird. It's like AA has, has a saying, and they say one day at a time. And it's just kind of like just, you know, you just take it day by day. And, and uh, I got bolder as I got stronger in my faith. Like I got in Bible studies and I got seated in a good church and now but you know uh, early in our faith what my wife and I's marriage Keely's so over marriage she's just the best I learn from her every day she's just the sweetest human being I've ever met but like early on like I'd be going to do a business deal and she'd go are they believers and I said honey not everybody is a believer but God Jesus hung out with right non-believers sure. all the time sure and I said, you know, honey, we got to go out, go, go out and get in the middle of them because, I mean, if we're all hanging out with believers, we're not we're not spreading the word, right? But yeah. um, I mean, I and I love doing business with people that have strong faith that are real, uh, but there's a lot of quality people that don't know sure. the Lord that, yeah, you know, need they need, need to know them. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, I wanted to also ask you, you've mentioned your, your wife now, Keely, Keely, his name, right? Yeah. yeah uh, her name. So, um, as you were seeking forgiveness from your ex-wife, what kind of support did she give you there? Well, your, your Ke Keely, Keely yeah. was, uh, she's unbelievable. So like Keely and I went up to Illinois while we were dating to meet my daughter, Kelly, that is here now. And we are like this yeah. and, um, Kelly was there with a friend, and she knew of who I was, but not who I had turned into or changed to. 
And she was really not very nice to me in this dinner. She was, you know, just really mad at me. And um, we go back to the hotel, and I'm and everybody in my family thought that she, that my kids had a right to be mad, and so did I, because I had a lot of guilt. And Keely said to me, she said, "You're her father, and this is not right, and you need to go fix it." And I said, "Well, what am I going to do?" And she goes, "You go get her, call her, and tell her you're going to meet and you're going to talk it out until you get a plan." So we're staying in downtown Chicago, and I call her, and she goes, I, I don't want to. I went back to Keeley. She, she goes, I said she doesn't want to. She said, go do it. And I called my daughter, Kelly, and I said, Kelly, we're going to get together. And we sat down, and it was so uncomfortable. But I apologized, and I tried to really tell her what I was sorry for. And over time, we were in there for four hours. Yeah. Uh, a lot of crying. And... What we came out with was that I committed that I would go to counseling with her as long as it took. Mm. Mm. So she lived in Illinois, I lived in Dallas, and she picked a counselor, and every other Wednesday I would fly to Chicago, drive two hours, go to counseling on a Wednesday night, go to, co go to counseling on a Thursday morning, drive back to O'Hare and fly back to Dallas. Wow. Every other week for year and a half. Wow. And the counselor wasn't very effective, but I kept showing up. Mm. And one day we're in counseling and she goes, dad, I'm good. You don't have to come back. I get choked up on that one too. Mm. But it was about showing her that it mattered and showing up. Showing up. And now we're, she works here. She just moved here from Illinois, and we're really close. So and it went from we are locked in. I mean, and I'm close with all my kids now, and I've worked hard. Uh, I've got an adult son, uh, Chris, that lives in Tampa that's been sober seven years and three months ago decided to drink again. And so that's a little bit of um, uncertainty. You know, I'm talk, pouring into him and praying. But yeah. so I mean, life's not perfect; it never is. But Kelly, Kelly was the the linchpin to amending your relationships. Is that what it sounds like? Well, I mean, um, Keely, yeah, Keely. Sorry, your daughter, but yeah, fixing, Keely said, "Go fix it with yeah, Kelly." I gotcha. got a lot of K's: Keely, yeah. Kaylee, and Kelly. I, I'm Kyle's. <laughs> so I mean, I, I'm saying I'm telling everybody by the wrong name all the time. Yes. But yes, and but again, it. I had all this guilt, but we had to get through all that to get go moving forward. And I think I had to show her that it mattered. Yeah. And I think just showing up showed her. Yeah. Because you know, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think it was the counseling as much as it was just being just there. being there, just yeah. being dad. And I think people want to know, you know, that you that you care. Yeah. And you have to prove it. Because I, I didn't set a great example for so long, yeah. and I, I had to undo it. And I can't take any of it back, but it's... So I remember sitting once, I was in a bar, and my dad walked in, and I was so drunk I couldn't lift my head up. Mm. And he, I could see the disgust in his face. He, I could just see it. His face just went, oh. And I remember thinking, if anybody would ever believe me or trust me, 
it would be unbelievable. Because when you drink a lot, you, you, you're not honest because you you got all these messes you're trying to hide for. And today, I have respect and I have reputation and I have faith and all that I wanted, I have. That's good. And uh, it's all just because of my faith, I believe, because it's about just being real. Yeah. I mean, we all make mistakes, right? I'm making mistakes every day, but uh, I just don't know how life... I think it would be so much harder to be the person you want to be without walking with Jesus. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I agree. I mean... Well, you gotta have you gotta have a couple things even beyond that. I think I think you have to be what we're kind of seeing. What I'm picking up on is you're you're very transparent and you're vulnerable, good, and you yeah. have a very vulnerable heart. And I think leading up to a question with that, you know, I'm coming off of a weekend where I got to take my daughter on her last cheer competition trip. It was in the in in the Disney World complex, but frankly, we didn't even do Disney, and it was just me and her. And we had an incredible weekend just spending quality time with each other. Uh, and most of that was actually spent in the hotel room because they said she right. couldn't do the Disney park before her cheer competition. She didn't even perform till late at night. So just logistically, and she wanted to follow the rules. I was actually, hey, we could, Let's go. We could, go. <laughs> we could get back by noon. That would, by be, noon, me. But that would she, be me. She was like, no, dad. And so I said, okay. So I tried to make the most of it. But all that to say is like, you know, the intentionality that I'm – working on it. I know Ian is as well as we're trying to just, just spend time and just be present for our kids and just be in there. And it's, it's really, it doesn't take too much time out of our day to just pay attention and do that. And I think we overcomplicate it so much. And then we, part of that too, is we, we kind of close up, close ourselves off with our kids. Even, I mean, I I'll speak for myself. I think, um, it's hard for men specifically to just be open and communicate their feelings and things like that. And so the vulnerability aspect of it, I think, is, is, is critical that it doesn't sound like you had earlier in your life until you were radically transformed. Yeah, I was, I was afraid, right? I, 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 didn't have any, I didn't have the confidence to be transparent. But, you know, I think kids, kids see you if you're not real. Mm. They know it really well. You know, like I talk to people, counsel people that are in their marriages are kind of bad and they think that they're hiding it. We're, we're together for the kids. And I think, I mean, I think you should stay married forever. But it, I, I just think it's comical when they think their kids don't realize what's going on. Because I said, listen, your kids know it. Yeah. And, and um, like for me, as kids get older, the decisions get more important. And the faith base, the solid, the solidity of their faith, I don't know if that's a word, but the stronger their faith is, the better their life decisions are going to be. So I've got 19-year-old twins that are 20 next, I think, Sunday. And then I've got, you know, older kids, 40s and 50s. And, uh, God, I can't believe I got kids at all. But, but. The decisions they start making in their life. Now, like I've got teenagers, I've got one son that's on fire for Jesus, and my daughter isn't sure, you know. And I, the thing about being a dad is that there's urgency because you love them so much. Yeah. yeah. But 
you know, I think you just got to keep showing up and keep pouring in. But you watch decisions kids make. Kids that have a strong faith are going to make many mistakes and they're going to be in the world. But they're going to, I think they're going to make less. I think they're going to, because they, it's, for me, when I go do something really stupid, I've got tons of guilt because I've let the Lord down, you know? Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Well, um, we're kind of winding down here. I know you have you have a, another meeting to get off to, but um, on, staying on that topic, I mean, what? So, what would you tell men that uh, maybe they don't need some sort of radical freedom from uh, an alcohol addiction or drug addiction or something like that? But how could they start today to be more intentional with just their life in general and, and being all in on their faith? Because that's really what we're what this podcast was was designed to 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 just uh, come from a place of also vulnerability with our stories and just being open where we we weren't always um, all in I should say you know right. where we're, we've we've got sure. we've so, got these these uh, these pillars up this it's it's everything's compartmentalized yeah so you know coming from that standpoint what would you what would you tell somebody to just to just take the step forward and just just pull your guard down. So, um, one, I would say you, you, if you could find somebody that is a believer or has a strong faith that could be your mentor or guide, you know, at least pour into you. Um, I, I'm a big believer in Bible study. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do them online, you can do them in person, but I think a Bible study, a daily study of the Bible, when I'm on top of my devotional, and that's reading the Bible. I got a prayer journal. I highly recommend prayer journals because you see all the answered prayer. But when I do it and I'm consistent, I'm a better man. Mm. When I don't, I mean, I start swearing and there's things that I get looser. And it's really almost immediate. Like I go on a road trip, golf trip, guys golf trip, and I'm, you know, I'm waking up, running to a tea, tea time and I'm not, I'm not doing my devotional. I change really fast because I think we're all kind of, you know, sinning is really comfortable, right? Yeah. That's what we're, it's our nature. So, but I would say that. And then number one is a, finding a good church. But, you know, a lot of times if somebody's thinking about it, it's hard to get them to go to church. Yeah. So I think connecting with a person and maybe finding a way to, you know, just open the book. And get in. I would say start in the Gospels because the Gospels are a better read from from me when I was when I was starting out because it's you you hear the Lord you know you see what the, when the Lord was alive right. and what He said and what He did and the miracles and I think it's because a lot of times you know I've read the Bible in the morning and you're in the Old Testament and you close the book and you go what did I just read. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you'd have to go back and read it again, yeah, right? Yeah. And I've got an audio Bible. And I, sometimes if I'm listening, like there's some, the the Gospels just, I love reading them. And every time I read them, I get something new out of it. But it's like sometimes like if I'm doing an audio book and I'm driving, I go, okay, what did I, I didn't hear it. because it, So um, I think a Bible study is important. I want to ask one more question before we close, because I think it's it's important to the listeners. And your story is, is such a beautiful example of it. How did you, I know you were in, so the, the alcohol, some, some recreational drugs as well. How did you overcome the temptation? Like the, 
the we have i mean we we talk to men on a regular basis 80 i think it's i forgot the exact number 70 or 80 percent of pastors right now are still actively looking at pornography at some level right um whether it be all the way from porn to um drugs or alcohol how did you what are what were some things that you put i know you said aa but was there anything else you put in your in your life to put barriers around to protect you from that temptation well, I mean, anything that had that kind of content on that I was drawn to want, yeah, um, I eliminated. Yeah, I eliminated my access. Yeah. Now, like, I know you can go online for pornography sure, and things sure. like that. I've never ever done that, so I just don't want to know how to do that. Yeah. And, and yeah. like, you know, so um, I, I think AA has ten steps. And if you follow those 10 steps in AA, and it's about making amends to people you hurt, undoing the wrongs you've done, yeah. um, and, and just, and I think if you stay in the Bible, I think it gives you the strength to be committed. And, and again, if I'm not on my game, on my Bible and my devotional, yeah. I go back to Billy Boy, old Billy. That's and I mean, I think we all do. Well, look, we, we preach we talk it about it all the, time. all the time. And sometimes him and I are like, are we saying this too much? But it goes so back true. to conversations. But think about it. Yeah. It like, I just heard this saying, I don't even remember where I heard it. Um, I think it was a pastor saying, you know, every, most people desire to, to go live in heaven when they die and be with Jesus for the rest of their life. But we don't show that. We can't even give them 10 minutes a day type thing, but right. we want to spend the rest of his life. Right. It's like, arguably, do you really want that? Or are you just, you know, running from something else? I think the thing that's scary is most people think they're going to go to heaven. They yeah. think they're getting a free pass. I mean, I talk to people all the time when, when we talk about sharing our faith and I go, oh yeah, we're all going to heaven. And I'm looking, I'm going, really? And I said, I said, well, where did you, how do you know that? Yeah. And they ne there's no basis for it. And then the other thing is, is the people that talk about the Bible not being real or accurate. And I go, have you ever read it? No. First answer is always no. Yeah. I'll go, okay, wait a minute. It's not accurate. Well, there no. was that verse. No, but, but no, there was that no one I swear to you, this yeah. is a daily thing. Yeah. I go, okay, you don't think the Bible's accurate? No. Like, why? And, and they'll tell me. And then I go, have you ever read it? No. Yeah. I go, and I said, I have multiple times and i just want you to know i think it it's accurate and it's spot on yeah and it's god's word and i just think when you're in it you're a better person and like i I'll, sometimes i'll read the bible and and i just don't think anything of it but i get into my day and i just love who i am as a person oh for sure so like i go on a golf trip like one of my big problems was I would throw the F word around like it was a verb. You know, I mean, and when I had my faith conversion, that was the hardest thing I had to do. I had many things I had to change, but was swearing was one of them. And I, they still slip out, right? But not as much. And when I go and I'm away, like if I'm like, uh, we went to uh, Europe this summer and I wasn't as on top of it. And I'm in the middle of the day and I'm throwing, you know, I'm, I'm swearing. And I go, wow. And, and I catch myself because I'm not used to doing it. Because, like, if you're around somebody that swears a lot, I think it's offensive. Mm, yeah. I do. You know, and if it's one, somebody I know, I tell them. And it, but other than that, it's like, 
And, and I don't want to be that person. But I, I just think you got to stay in the word, man. And, you know, if you can find a really good church, I think a, a church family is huge. Yes, spiritual family. Yeah. Absolutely. There, one more thing. And I, I just want to, I'm, I'm going back, I'm hearing your whole story, which honestly has been an incredible, thank you for sharing it with us. I go back, I'm thinking of the listener that may not, um, may not have a big business, may not be doing this, may not be doing that. And I keep going back to Pastor Paul. Yeah. He's a pastor. Yeah. Working a part-time job cleaning pools. Yes. And shares the gospel with you. Yes. And look at the ripple effect. Yes. That has happened. Yes. Through through that man. One man. Through that one man. And Sorry. so when eternity comes, wow, that's right. When eternity comes, you may have that. been the mouthpiece to get them there, but Pastor Paul. Yeah. Started. Was the ripple? He was the one that threw the pebble in the water. Yeah, right. I started the whole thing. That's so true. And so I just want to encourage listeners that go, "Hey, look, you matter, and you don't know who you're talking to, and you don't know what the ripple effect will be in Absolutely. time. Just be consistent, show up, and God's going to do what He only well He can do. Absolutely. Well said. I totally <laughs> agree. You know, and I hadn't thought about that, and it's so true. It's yeah. true. Yeah. I mean. There is no downside to being bold and living your faith. There's none. Well, I think one more thing to add is, you know, John specifically calls this out as, as you know, we're, we're among priests and kings. And there was a priest that had influence on you as a king in the kingdom, knowing that you had the influence yeah. to reach your little kingdom within the greater kingdom, right? And that's your influence. And I think that's the confidence that we can step into as, right. as high achievers. Even You don't even have to be a high achiever. Just somebody in the workforce. Mm -hmm. You're a king. Where You're a king, and you have to look at life that way in your domain and your ministry and everything else. Everybody, you don't have to go very far. You don't have to go to Africa to be a missionary. You just got to look at the mission field around you within your domain. Well, and, and, you know, I've been to Cuba and I've been on a, a, a fair amount of mission trips. And I got to tell you, my heart is saving people in Dallas. Because, yeah. you know, people, so in, good. people in America have so much debris you have to get through to get to their heart. Yeah. It's hard, man. It's harder here. You go to Cuba and they're living in a, uh, a house with a dirt floor. And that you know, they're all ears because, you know, I mean, it's they they've else. got no debris here. We got so much debris, and everything that gets poured into people every day is about stuff. It's all about stuff and how you look, and and I mean, it's just all wrong. Yeah. And um, so it's harder. And and so I, I kind of hit me like ten years ago. Hey, man, my mission field is right here, right. and because I'll tell you, it's harder. A lot harder. Yeah. There's a lot of rejection. Tons Absolutely. of it. But it's it's not people forever. think they're okay. They think they're okay. They do. And, and you know, I've been amazed at people I know that don't love Jesus because I never thought anybody could actually be a good person. I know some people that are pretty good people, you know. And again, it's it's terrible that they're that, you know, you add God to that, it would just be perfection. But well, thank important. you so much. Thank you so yeah. much for sharing. Thanks for having me. It's been awesome. I've enjoyed yeah. it. Would, would you yeah. do us the honors and close us in prayer? Yeah. 
Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you for this blessing of this wonderful day and time. Keep us focused on you as we go through our day. Keep our family members safe. Lord, help us do the right thing and think about you when no one's looking. Help me set a right example. Give me the opportunity to share my faith with somebody today. Give me the words and the, and the wisdom to do it well. I thank you for today and tomorrow. I know everything that is or ever will be is because of you. In my name. In your name, amen. 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 Thanks for listening. We hope that you feel encouraged by today's episode. Help us reach the masses by leaving a review and subscribing to the show. We'll see you next time. 